0: thought leadership from PwC. What I'm hoping is that as things get back to quote unquote normal, corporate officers, especially CFOs, aren't throwing away the lessons that they've learned, even if they've learned them the
1: hard way. These geopolitical forces create risk for companies. But if companies can get ahead of these forces, it also means an opportunity.
2: Digging in on the geopolitical forces that are shaping business today, this is a special episode of PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. Last month, France's embassy in the U.S. made headlines when it canceled a gala planned in Washington, D.C., an apparent response to a three-way nuclear submarine alliance between the U.S., U.K., and Australia. News outlets have also reported ongoing tensions among major global players around oil and other resources in the Arctic Circle. The last several months have seen a number of geopolitical events introducing further global uncertainty into markets, economies, and political landscapes. From the U.S. departure from Afghanistan to nuclear submarines, not to mention the ongoing challenges of a global pandemic, it can be difficult sometimes to take a step back and understand of all that's going on what might actually impact my business. My guests today explored this topic in detail. Craig Stromberg, a former historian and current director from PwC Intelligence, and Christina Vobig, a senior manager from PwC Intelligence, are here to discuss some of the current macro forces that are shaping the geopolitical landscape, including what are the unique risks and opportunities for businesses that these forces are starting to create. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started so craig welcome back to the show and christina thanks so much for joining me today looking forward to an update on some of the conversations we had back in the spring and craig just to dive right into it let's start things off and i can't wait to hear where you go with this but what geopolitical forces and trends um, should cfos and companies be focused on today
0: so i think that a cfo that has been listening faithfully You know to the conversations that we've been having are going to hear some echoes of some of the conversations that we've heard before and i'm glad that we're really thinking about the cfos because they're the ones that are the ones the company that really need to manage risk of all kinds and so understanding what are those forces that are at work are really what's going to be important so there's all kinds of forces that work i think there's three that they probably need to be thinking about. You know, the first one is displacement. And displacement is a force that is happening because there is right now a movement of geopolitical power that is happening on multiple fronts, and it has been happening for the past couple of years. But it is really shaking up global trade. It is shaking up the assumptions that CFOs make about what the global business world looks like. Another one that we talked about before, and it's worth mentioning again is inequity and this is the difference between countries communities companies and individuals between those who have and those who don't in terms of access in terms of funds in terms of healthcare. and i think the last one which we've also talked about but it is really affecting the global environment is the force of trust But you can't think about trust without the other side of trust coin, which is distrust. So if you're creating a trust-based strategy, you need to understand the degree of distrust that currently exists geopolitically in the world and how that strategy is going to fare when they begin to collide.
2: So Craig, lots of directions to go in, but maybe just starting with the first one on displacement. So when you talk about this global power shift... How do you see the change in administration fitting in with that, if at all?
0: I think the issue now is that the geopolitical landscape is so complicated that we don't yet know where we should go. And none of that can really be dealt with effectively until the administration deals with COVID, because you can't have a really robust geopolitical response while COVID is still damaging more than half the globe.
2: Well, and Craig, so before we get to the other topics, you know, I've talked about vaccines before, and I brought this up with Ross as well as, you know, the sense that the US should or could move more aggressively um, from a vaccine distribution perspective. But as you step back and again think about it from a CFO's perspective with what's going on still worldwide with COVID, how do you think about it from a business perspective?
0: I think that what Really matters to CFOs, especially CFOs of multinational corporations, is understanding how what we just talked about, how the US's brand, right, as a country, which has absolutely been diminished in recent years, how does the US's national brand affect your corporate brand in a foreign market? And this is a big part of understanding the risk landscape for a CFO in that foreign market. And so understanding what the U.S. government is doing and how it's being received in foreign markets is particularly important for any CFO of a multinational that is going to expand or continue operations or even consider leaving a foreign market. Because for the people in that market, they aren't always going to think of that CFO and the Secretary of State in different ways. To them, they are both representatives of the United States. Both of them have power. Both of them have influence, and therefore, in their minds, at least, whether it's correct or not, they need to be reflective of one another. And what that means for CFOs is they need to understand what people like Ross understand, which is what's happening behind closed doors in Washington. What are regulators thinking? What are policymakers thinking? And how is the U.S. perceived, justly or not, in foreign markets?
2: All right, Christina, maybe you bringing you into the conversation, why don't we talk about inequity? So I think that's what Craig just talked about is perfect lead in the US has access to all of these different things that other countries may not. So how is this being viewed geopolitically, particularly in some of these countries where there is less healthcare, you know, and all of these benefits that we have here in the US?
1: So I think one of the problems with inequity is it goes closely um, along with the other force that Craig mentioned of trust or distrust. Distrust makes solving inequity a lot harder. So if, for example, you disagree on data, on trends and even the truth in general, it's hard to solve anything. And then I think in turn also inequity comes in and accelerates this um, displacement uh, of power. So countries that distrust each other contribute to that fragmentation of the international order that Craig just mentioned, um, and it leaves room for new countries to fill that power vacuum.
2: And then if I think about this question of trust and distrust, that's a tough question, right? Because that is being judged on a country level But then as a company, you have your own commitments you've made, you're working with these people. And so on on one level, it actually seems easier to build trust with those people you're dealing with directly in another uh, country. But any thoughts on that?
0: I think that's true, right? You always have the best relationships with the people that you are dealing with one-on-one. You know, whoever may be in power may be a figurehead that is only known to you by what you see on television. You know, you see this even in difficult regulatory environments globally, where U.S. multinational companies have had challenges. They may have an excellent relationship with an individual regulator, but the regulatory agency overall may be one that causes them an extreme amount of stress. But they happen to have a very good relationship with that customs official or that cyber official or that data official who hasn't created a false impression of the regulatory agency They just happen to have a better one-on-one relationship with them. And sometimes those relationships can carry forward into other things, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for you to deal with a regulator when that person you have a great relationship is is gone or out of the way.
2: So Christina, do you want to chime in on that?
1: Yeah, I have a follow-up on, on trust. Um, So Heather, I couldn't agree more with what you said. Um, I think trust is, it's a really interesting, but also complex force But I think it also presents a lot of opportunity, especially for companies, because I think we see levels of distrust reaching new highs. But, for example, at the same time, Edelman's most recent trust barometer found that business was the most trusted stakeholder. And um, also a PW survey on trust that was just published in September found that trust in business actually increased over the course of the pandemic. Um, so I think this wider trust gap can also be an opportunity for businesses to own and, and define that space for them.
2: So that's actually a great lead into what I wanted to ask next is that we've focused here on sort of the negative side of these. These are risks for companies to deal with. But then if I change the lens and look at the flip side and say, OK, but there's also opportunity, it sounds like, Christina, what you're seeing is someone who does it better, is going to have more opportunity by kind of differentiating themselves from other companies. But anything to add on that?
1: Yes, I think that goes back to the original um, thoughts that Craig added on these major forces that are shaping the environment, which I think ultimately these geopolitical forces create risk for companies. But if companies can get ahead of these forces and understand them, how they move and what they do and what types of risks they create, it also means an opportunity to not just limit or prevent loss, but really to get ahead of what might be happening, where things are going and capture opportunity from that.
2: So then, Craig, if I'm trying to think about my risk assessment or... Uh, flip it, the opportunity assessment, what are some of the other things companies would be focused on?
0: So part of what they want to be focused on is, is there a power vacuum? Is there an opportunity for a company to do something different that hasn't been done before? Because governments may not be able to do it well. So one place where you're seeing this right now is space. You know, there was a time where NASA was always in lead and private companies supported. That's been reversed because in a, in a time over the last several decades of a lack of investment in U.S. based capabilities, private sector companies have taken the lead. You know, they are now more innovative than NASA, which put people on the moon. And so private business saw an opportunity to develop technologies that would influence the regulations that would come to define that space. They even got ahead of them. And so, some of that type of doing where you can think about what's going to change and get ahead of it is is something that you can be doing. I think one of the other things that companies need to be doing in terms of thinking about opportunity is they also have to think about their country as a stakeholder. And increasingly, global CFOs are beginning to talk about this. There is an image that is associated when you are headquartered in a certain country, and if you have a different message that you are trying to get out about efficiency or corruption or operations or ESG, sometimes there is the power of opportunity in being able to differentiate yourself and showing a different message about those issues. And I think the last thing is companies really need to be thinking about this broadly, And what I mean by that is this is a lot to ask of a CFO, especially on top of everything else that they're doing. And right now, there really isn't anybody, and I think we've talked about this, Heather, there isn't anybody in the C-suite whose job it is to help the CFO understand where the opportunities in geopolitical turmoil are. That's a lot for the CFO to figure out, not just what is the state of geopolitical turmoil, but where can I find the opportunities? And so CFOs broadly are being hampered and handicapped by the fact that in your typical corporate structure, there isn't anybody there that is helping them identify those opportunities on a daily basis. You have slices of that through the CISO and the chief risk officer and the chief security officer, but nobody who is really able to say, okay, look, in a time of geopolitical turmoil, We as a global brand have the opportunity to do something fantastic, and I have the confidence it's going to work, and here's why. One, two, three. Now, you may have individuals that can do that, but there isn't a position exactly laid out to do that. And so CFOs are often going to be left to the advice of people who are only covering a very small slice of the world. So they need to think about where they're going to get that advice from within their current structure.
2: So follow-up question, and this can go to either of you. Let's say I am the CFO, and I recognize there's a gap that I'm I'm not being perhaps coached or analyzing sort of worldwide. Do you see then companies focusing in on just the places they are operating? So, for example, I know my supply chain is in a particular company or that I'm dependent on shipping from a particular location, or do you really think even (laughs) – You know, with a lack of resources or otherwise, that is just too narrow of a view to deal with what's going on in the world right now.
0: I'll give you my answer, and then Christina can undoubtedly give you a better one. So, you know, right now, anywhere that a supply chain touches ought to be a concern. And very few companies have the luxury of having only one link in that node. We've talked about supply chain and how much of the global supply chain is broken, or hindered for a variety of reasons, the ability to really understand what that's like, if you just wanted a CFO's day to be consumed with that, would require an enormous amount of time. And so simplifying this is not going to be easy. I think the biggest problem here is that you can't part-time geopolitical analysis. You have to have somebody that is helping the CFO understand this day in and day out, because it's not only the parts of the supply chain that are currently under stress. It's where are they going to be under stress a quarter or three quarters or six quarters from now? Because the beauty of having somebody like that advise the CFO is, if you can foresee what that is going to be in six or seven or eight quarters and prepare for it, your supply chain will be resilient and flexible at the same time that your competitors are getting buffeted by high winds but you can only do that you can only have that kind of advanced planning if you've got somebody there that can really help the CFO see around geopolitical corners but christina you may see that differently
1: yeah i think that ultimately goes to the question how how can companies best react here and um I think, as as Craig mentioned, it's it's about thinking ahead what possible future scenarios um, those forces or current developments might create. But then it's not enough to just think about through those scenarios or possible futures and then put the notes from that exercise back into a, a drawer. I think it comes back to really having someone own that, as Craig mentioned. And for me, it comes back to the concept of strategic agility that was mentioned um, in previous podcasts, which I would define strategic agility as the ability to foresee, react to, and capitalize on those changes in the operating environment that global forces are causing. And to really do that, you could break that down into three simple steps of monitoring, measuring, and managing those risks. And really start from a practical point of view of view and use these three lenses of displacement in equity and trust as a filter for an organization to ask yourself what are relevant developments and subforces for my organization. So really tailor it here, um, seeing what is most applicable to us, what could impact us most and how. And then once you have these lenses set up, you can think through possible futures and their attached risks which then allows you to measure these risks on an ongoing basis and ultimately manage um, manage them to, uh, to also capture future opportunities and not just uh, limit loss.
2: So, Christina, I have a question then, because we've talked about these three forces. And so coming back to them, as you and Craig are sort of looking at this landscape, do you see them all? hitting equally? Or do you see them sequentially? Or again, if I'm a CFO, how should I be thinking about the impact of these forces on my company?
1: I think these forces each have their very own dynamics or characteristics. So displacements or power shifts, for example, I see as a much more gradual force. It's already in swing. It will continue to move. It's probably the most tectonic force here it's slow but the downside is because it's slow it's not as visible and it can catch us by surprise um, versus a force like inequity is slowly picking up steam but it's the most dynamic of the forces here and also i think the most personal because it makes you as an individual feel i'm not being treated equally here and then distrust for me acts like something like an underlying current like when i think of it i picture volcanic lava It's explosive and it can erupt suddenly if certain buttons are pushed.
2: So then Craig, sort of with that um, foundation of thinking of monitoring, measuring and managing, and then as Christina pointed out, these are all impacting you as a company. How do you recommend that companies kind of work through these and and put in place something to address these various um, issues?
0: So one of the first things they need to do is they need to identify their geopolitical dependencies. And this includes things like the supply chain, regulation, varying degrees of global points of view on data transfers, data cooperation, trade, trade agreements. Where do geopolitical conflicts hinder their business? And where are all the dependencies that they have to run an efficient business? How do those forces impact them? Probably the next step then is to look at what are the assumptions that they all collectively make about the geopolitical environment in which they must operate. And I've run this exercise with companies before, as you probably have too, Heather. And the experience that I have had is that at first, it's just a trickle, right? Everybody starts with a safe assumption or two. And when things get rolling, you start to see that everybody around the table from the C-suite has an enormous amount of assumptions about the safety, security of the global system and how they're going to be able to operate in it and when certain things and when certain changes are going to happen. So you need to get together and make sure that your heads are all in the same place about what you think is actually happening in the world. And at that point, you're ready to do the measure, monitor, manage framework that Christina laid out and look at future scenarios, like the good example here is there was a company, a U.S. major manufacturer that was hit very hard in the mid to early first decade of the 2000s. Several regions around the world had very poor sales, so much that it really panicked the company. And they had a top to bottom review globally, not just regionally, of operations, pricing, management, supply chain, you name it because they didn't want this to happen again. Now the next year comes around and they have a banner year and they put the plan that they've developed to combat this challenge on the shelf. The global financial crisis comes around and someone says, don't we have a plan for this? And they pull this off the shelf. And while not all of it is immediately applicable, they've thought enough about what do you do if you find yourself in a sudden storm, that they were able to capitalize on the global financial crisis to actually make more, not, sh- not just from their competitors, but more than they had the year before, because they had a guide to get out, a guide to think about the storm that they were in. And that only comes if you go through this process deliberately, which takes time and a willingness of the C-suite to actually sit down and communicate <laughs> about what they know and what they don't know.
2: So Craig, shifting gears a little bit then, Christina made some great points around the trust in corporations and the fact it's increasing. So where do we see the role of companies evolving as we look ahead?
0: So I think it's a couple of things. One of the places that we've seen this is that if you look at what CFOs are saying, a lot of what they're talking about is through the lens of ESG. And ESG really is a prism. It's a framework for companies that want to exert some power in terms of changing the society or culture in which they are in, wherever that may be in the world, especially when it comes to the S in ESG. And as Christina mentioned, if you try and get a read on where consumers are about this, the best tools and data that we have indicate that they want companies to make a stand when it comes to social issues. And they will gravitate and switch brand loyalty to those companies that do, taking their business towards those companies that have the the wherewithal to actually make that kind of a statement. And so they want them to talk about geopolitical issues, about global drivers, or r- about risk issues. And I think part of what the new global operating environment is that Tip O'Neill's famous truism that all politics is local is not true anymore. You know, minute global protests can become global movements overnight and catch companies off guard if they are not prepared to deal with the cultural, social, legal, technical ramifications that come with social movements that can move that quickly. That is not a problem Tip O'Neill had in the sixties or seventies or early eighties. Things were slower. They're not slow anymore. And that means that companies have to have the ability to react fast.
2: So to that point, you know, if you rewound 18 months to March of 2020, you know, at that time, we kept saying, oh, this can be over. It's gonna be four weeks. Oh, no, maybe it's gonna be two months. Oh, maybe it's gonna be till the end of this year. And it's just the timeline kept moving, right? And it's obviously still here. So the t- those timelines were wrong. But I still think there is this sense of it's going to end, things are going to go back to quote, normal, And then I can just go back to business as usual. But maybe Christina, starting with you, that feels like, I mean, just reading the newspaper, but really in light of this conversation, very naive, because it doesn't seem like there's just been too many changes, too many forces, some of of the things we've talked about here. So do you see it going back to, quote, normal, or that this is going to end? Or do you think this is more indicative of the future?
1: Yeah, I think what we are asking is what type of world are we headed towards and what is it going to look like? And I think it's unlikely it's going to look like the world we knew before COVID. And I think why we don't exactly know what it will look like, we know some of the elements that are likely going to be a part of it and we can ask questions about them to understand it better so for example the current disequilibrium of market forces that we are seeing is that going to continue and will we have to deal with that um, yeah continue disequilibrium for a while longer or will we see a new one emerging I mean, I think what we know for sure is that we won't return to the old pre-COVID ways of being or balance. We will likely see a mix of permanent COVID-induced changes, a return to the so-called old normal in some areas, but also new forces disappearing and new threats emerging. So I think the most helpful thing is to ask those questions and construct likely scenarios to get a better idea of what different options could look like. Um, And in in addition to that, pay attention to the lessons learned in the recent past and use them to be better prepared, but also not over-pivot now into one specific area of risk, but really take this as an opportunity to develop that general mindset that allows to exercise that strategic agility and measure and, and monitor those risks relevant to an organization going forward.
2: Craig, you're nodding, so what would you add there?
0: I am nodding, I agree with everything Christina said. I think I'd only add a couple of things. What I'm hoping is that as things get back to quote unquote normal, corporate officers, especially CFOs, aren't throwing away the lessons that they've learned, even if they've learned them the hard way, that they are going to enshrine them. And when it comes to managing and monitoring geopolitical uncertainty, apply those lessons to their company over and over and over again, so that the next time this happens, whether it's a minor scale or major scale, they'll be more prepared and more flexible. And like the company that I talked about, if they do what Christina's advising them, they'll have multiple plans behind glass. And when they need to break the glass and pull one out, they'll know exactly what to do when their competitors are panicking, when their competitors are backpedaling. And that puts a company in an opportunity to make advantage, to make opportunity of chaos.
2: Well, and Craig, I think where that advice is particularly helpful, if you're listening to Doesn't matter if you're a big company or a small company or if you're the CFO or you're just running a department, everyone from a business perspective had some lessons that they've learned. And so you can, all of us can take a step back, reflect and think, what would I do the same? What would I do differently in the next crisis? Maybe it's not a pandemic, maybe it's something else, but it's still advice that, you know, again, pretty much everyone listening should be able to follow. Agreed. So with that sort of almost a final thought, Christina, we don't know what's coming next. But if as you look ahead to 2022, which is not that far away, what are some of the areas you would suggest CFOs should be paying attention to?
1: So. I think for going into 2022 um, of um, yeah items or topics to, to watch, I think oftentimes what I find interesting in surveys, for example, or indicators that are monitoring geopolitical risk um, levels, sometimes it actually seems that concern is decreasing or easing. But then when I look at practical measures of geopolitical risk or uncertainty, such as, for example, just purely the number of restrictive trade interventions or new cross country regulation that limits investment opportunities, or even just simply the increase in levels of protest and civil unrest around the world that make operating environments for companies much more challenging. like To me, these paint a very different picture from sometimes what perception seems to be like. So these are some of the indicators or measures that I would be watching over and above the, the noise or talk that you might see in, in media and the public sphere.
2: So as always, really appreciate you joining me today. And thank you so much for all the insight. I hope you all enjoyed and feel caught up on all that's happening in the world, having listened to our current events coverage of the last few weeks. Please join us next week when we wrap up the series with a special episode on tax policy. I'm happy to have Rohit Kumar back on the show to help us navigate the latest developments. So that you never miss any of our audio content, follow the PWC Accounting Podcasts wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in.
0: This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.